There. Very good. We'll put these down here. Um, I wanted to share with you, actually, before we get into this chapter, Genesis chapter 15, I wanted to share with you a little bit of my testimony, in fact, because I think it will uh, shed a bit of light on what we're going to speak on or what we're going to discuss this morning. About um, January 2015, we'll go back a year, I was in university, and I was... Uh, doing a geography degree. Um, you can ask me later why. I won't be able to give you an answer why, but I've done a geography degree down in Swansea, sunny Swansea. And uh, it was in, I was in my final year, and I really didn't know what to do next. I was really, really struggling. I'm quite a laid-back person. If you know me quite well, I'm quite laid-back. But it was coming to the point that my degree where I was really unsure what was going to happen. And uh, I remember a specific moment, for, for a long time I was praying about this Bible college, this Tilsey College, which I'm uh, studying with now. But at the time, I really wasn't sure. And I was saying to the Lord, Lord, you need to give me an answer here. I really don't know what I'm going to do next. I want to do what you want me to do, but I really don't know what the next step is. And I remember a specific moment, I was home alone, I had my Bible in front of me, and I was studying Hosea. And I, I got down on my knees, and I, I was in floods of tears. Floods of tears. And I was really unsure what was going to happen. And I said, Lord, I'm, the only option I've got here is this Bible college, but I'm really not sure if this is where you want me to go. I need you to give me an answer. Through, through my studying Hosea, somehow, by the Holy Spirit, for definite, he led me to Genesis 28. You don't have to turn to it. But Genesis chapter 28. And all I was looking for was a simple yes or no, go or stay. Genesis chapter 28. I read this verse. Verse 15. I am with you. This is God talking to Jacob. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. From then on, that was my answer. God had given it to me. That was me. That was God saying to me, it is time for you to go. And uh, throughout that summer, I was on a very spiritual high. I was like, yes, this is great. I've got my answer. This is fantastic. And a week before I was going, I'd already applied. I'd had my interview. They'd obviously liked me because I passed the interview. I was in the college. It was great. And a week before, the typical thing, isn't it? A week before, we've got this big decision to make. And I had some worries. I had some concerns. Lord, I'm really unsure. Are you sure, is this, are you sure this is where you want me to go? I went to an anniversary service a couple of days before leaving for this college, really unsure. My Uncle Mark, who I know, I know some of you know this, Uncle Mark, know him, Uncle Mark, he was preaching. You'll never guess the passage that he was preaching. Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. God answers prayer. Do we believe that this morning? God answers prayer. I wanted to share that story with you because we're going to look again at uh, Abraham, Abraham I'm going to call him today because he's not actually called Abraham at this point, but it's too difficult to not call him that. So I'm going to call him Abraham for this morning. We're going to look at this character, Abraham, and we're going to look at him when he's praying and the trust and faith that he needs. My title this morning is All It Takes Is Faith and Trust. You want to tell me what Disney film that's from, you can tell me later. All it takes is faith and trust. We're going to read Genesis chapter 15, if we can, please. Genesis chapter 15. Starting from verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you out to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these all to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the people. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadbanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Might we just commit the Lord's word to him in prayer. We pray for him. Our Father, this morning we give you thanks that we can come together and worship the name that is above every other name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us even today. So, Father, we really pray that you would present yourself among us, as you already are now. But, Father, we pray your spirit would break into our hearts and our minds this morning. Help us to receive your word. Help us to be obedient to your word. Lord, help us, if your voice is calling us for something, then please help us to obey that call. As we look over your word, guard our hearts and minds. Keep us away from the distractions of the world and the different things that are on our minds. But Lord, keep us focused on your word just for this short time. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Abram, well, we've just read the first verse, and it says in the first verse, doesn't it, after this. So a good uh, law is, if it says after this or therefore, then have a look at the verses previous to work out what's happened just before. So I'm not going to, I wasn't actually here before last week, right? so I had to do my own little reading. I heard some, was it some shorts were showed on the screen? I know that. Is that right? Yeah, four smiling, so I think that's right. Yeah, but anyway, that's what I know. Genesis chapter 14. And we've just learned that Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, he's just saved his nephew Lot. And he's having a conversation with the king of Sodom. And the king offers Abraham goods, offers him possessions. Now, actually, in fact, the possessions actually belong to Abraham because Abraham actually won the battle. But the king comes to him and actually says, you can have these possessions. What does Abraham say? He refuses the king's offer, as he says. That he recognizes that greatness only comes from God. That's what Abraham said. And he didn't want to give the king that satisfaction, the authority to say, I made Abraham great by giving him these possessions. But Abraham said to him, the glory that I am going to receive from God and not from any other man. Because God at this point, as we remember from Genesis chapter 12, is making Abraham a great 
nations. And it's only God that's doing this. God is doing the work, and Abraham didn't want any sort of outside interference. God is making Abraham great. But what we're going to read this morning, as we already have just read, Abraham's not feeling great, is he? He's not feeling great. And we enter this very important chapter, chapter 15. And I'm going to say why it's extremely important. This chapter is foundational for all that comes in the New Testament. Everything. The theme of this chapter is so vital to the Scripture. Why? Because what you learned in Genesis chapter 3, which had been weeks ago, when the fall of humanity came, God said he had a plan. He had a salvation plan. He had a redemption plan. A redemption plan to bring all of creation back to himself. This chapter is a huge step in that plan. And guess what? This plan of salvation that God had from the beginning is still working now at 10 to 12 in Regent Chapel Christian Fellowship. It's still working now. He is still working now. He's still working in this room right now. God is here this morning working his salvation plan in you and in me as he works in our hearts and in our lives. This chapter is vital. We're going to explore that a little bit this morning. So it's clear God has seen what Abraham has done. Abraham has rejected these offers from the king of Sodom, and so God steps in here, and what does he say? Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. It would have been a hard decision for Abraham to make. He's just won this battle in Genesis chapter 14. He has all these possessions in front of him. The king is offering them to him. And Abraham says, no, that would have been a hard decision. If I'd put myself in the same position, I don't think I would have made the same decision. I want to ask you, has God asked you to leave something this week or in your life at this moment? Has he asked you to leave behind something? Leave, leave behind the sort of material thing, the seeking after money, the seeking after a good thing. He asks you to leave these things behind. Because sometimes when he asks us to leave these things behind, these things that we sometimes desire, though they're sinful, when he asks them to leave, us, leave them behind, sometimes we forget that he's actually seen them. And God will honor us for that, for the things that we've left behind. For the fact that we've stepped out in faith and in trust. God will honor us in that. And so God here speaks comfort to honor Abraham and encourage him. But clearly, Abraham has things on his mind, doesn't he? Clearly, he has other things on his mind. It's clear he's afraid, isn't it? Why else does God say, do not be afraid, in verse 1? Do not be afraid. Now, it's possible Abraham was fearing another attack from the people he'd just beaten in the battle. That is possible. But I want to suggest another thing to you. The thing I think he's fearing here is that God is not fulfilling his promise. I think Abraham here is questioning something of what God is doing. I think Abraham is worried that God might have even forgotten the promise that he gave him in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 13. I think he's fearing that. Do not be afraid. And he also says, I will be your shield, or I am your shield. So that's a sign of protection. But he also says, your very great reward. Abraham was just given up all of these rewards that he would have had from the battle. God is now saying that I am your very great reward. But Abraham, it doesn't seem, is registering what God has just said to him. And we see, don't we, in the verses 2 and 3, we see Ab uh, Abraham questioning. He's wrestling with doubts here. God, why are you delaying? 
Did you really mean what you said in Genesis chapter 12? Did you really mean what you said? That I will be made a great nation, that you will bless me, that you will give me a child. Do you really believe these things? And what's really funny is, what does he call him in verse 2? Abraham said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign means master, ruler, king, the one who is in control. And yet Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? You've given me no children, he says. He lays down his plea at God's feet. Show me, explain to me what is happening here. Where are these descendants, this nation you've promised me? You know, God, God loves it when we communicate with him. We, we sometimes don't feel that, do we? But God loves it when we communicate with him. It's such a grace to have prayer. He loves it. Because though he already knows what we're going to ask him, before we even ask it, he still loves the fact that he wants to receive from us as his children, as Christians this morning. He loves it when we communicate with him. He loves it. And I want to ask you guys this morning, as well as myself, you're struggling with something right now, a personal problem, a decision maybe, a difficulty in your life, a problem at work or in school or in college, in university, a problem, a difficulty. When was the last time you genuinely prayed about it? Think about that for a moment. When was the last time Think of this difficulty this moment. When was the last time you genuinely prayed to God about it? Because the things that we pray about the most are usually the things that we find the most important, or they should be. Think about that for a moment. When was the last time you truly prayed over the problems and difficulties that you're having in your life? And if we are praying this morning... Are we praying, believing that God can answer the prayer? Because let's be honest, most of the time we pray, we don't think God's going to answer, do we? I'll be honest and say that I don't. Sometimes I get into bed, I lay, the, I, get, I lay these prayers before God, but really, in my heart, I don't truly think he's going to answer them. And if we aren't praying, believing that God can answer our prayers, it's not going to. Do we believe that prayer works? You said to me all this morning that God answers prayer. But really, when we pray, do we really, pr- do we really believe he's going to answer them? Verse 4 and 5, God responds. God responds. Because God answers prayer. Because Abraham believed that God would answer. So he did. And God promises, doesn't he? I love the fact, if you look at these verses, verse 4 and 5, the amount of times he says, will, God will, I will, this man will not be your heir. He will have a son. Promises Abraham. And he takes him outside. And I love that. I think that's a wonderful phrase, don't you? I can find it. He took him outside. God takes Abraham outside. I think that's lovely. Going for a stroll. God takes him outside. And he sees the star above. He sees the star. And he sees the stars and God says to him, your descendants, your offspring, Abraham, will be as numerous as the stars you see above. As numerous. And God responds to Abraham's plea. And just like God gave that sign to Noah, wasn't it? What was the sign to Noah? Rainbow. 
the sign of the covenant he'd made with Noah. So Abraham had the covenant, the, the reminder of the star, that he could forever look up at the star and see the promise that God had made to him. When God answers our pleas and prayers, are we surprised? Because often, he gives us reminders. And even in the reminders sometimes, doesn't he? Even in the reminders of the prayers, even when we prayed something and he's answered it, and then he reminds us of the answer, we still struggle, don't we? We ask for assurance. We ask for confirmation. We lack faith. Challenge for us this morning when we pray. And when God answers the prayer, we have faith. And we have a duty to obey the prayer after it's been prayed. So, what's Abraham's response to God's promise of a son and descendants? Now, this verse is key. Verse 6. What's Abraham's response? We'll read it. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Despite the fact that this promise is bonkers, really, isn't it, when you think about it? Quite bonkers. Abraham's in his 90s. Sarah's in her 90s. And yet God says to them, you are going to have a son from your own God, your own flesh and blood. Bonkers. In human terms. In God's terms, nothing is impossible. And so, Abraham believed him. doesn't say anything. I like that. Abraham doesn't say anything. He just says, Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited him as righteousness. This verse, dare I say it, is one of the most important verses in Scripture. Not just the Old Testament, in Scripture. Because this connects the entirety of the New Testament. The entirety of the New Testament. It's so essential. Why? Because it's the key statement concerning how God saves people. How God saves us. Each of us this morning. That statement is key. Believe the Lord and God credited to him as righteousness. We're going to break it down. We're going to break down this, this phrase. Now some of you might know that the Bible was written in Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word for believe in this verse here in the Hebrew, I'm not going to pronounce it, but it's up on the screen because I can't speak Hebrew. So it's up there on the screen. And it means established or believe solidly. Abraham believed solidly in what God had promised. It's actually very similar to the root word that we use for amen in the Greek. When we end a prayer, we say amen. And amen literally means yes. Or I believe it. I agree. Amen. And it's very close to what this word, that Hebrew word up there, means. And God credits Abraham. What does credit in mean? Let's say I worked for Rob. Say I worked for Rob. Say um, I did some work for Rob. I um, cut his hair. <laughs> or mowed his lawn. That was a little jive. Mowed his lawn. Say I worked for Rob. Because of my work for Rob, and Rob liked my work, he credits me. He pays me. He credits me with money. And how, no matter how much the work is, the amount of money he gives me. So if I've mowed his lawn quite well, he gives me £10. He credits me with that. That's what crediting means. Because of Abraham's faith in God, God credits him, gives him, right? What is righteousness? Righteousness is the state of moral perfection or purity in front of God. It's God's standard to get into heaven. Righteousness. 
doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. So Abraham's faith, his belief, his trust is following in God who is righteous. God is only righteous, holy righteous. It meant that God could impute, could give to Abraham's account, the financial term crediting, give, it to, him, give to his account righteousness. The level to reach, to get into heaven. God's standard. Now, a warning here. Righteousness, being seen as righteous in God's eyes, is not a reward for faith. That's crucial. It's not a reward. Because if it's a reward, then that's something we've earned. You get that? Something we've earned. So, it's a gift. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, the great uh, faith is a gift. Faith in God is a gift. Given by the Spirit. And so, righteousness is given to Abraham, that he's seen as righteous, that's a gift from God. A gift. So Abraham, believing in God's promise to give him a son and descendants and blessing, as numerous as stars, meant that God looked at that belief and said it was equal and given it to righteousness. Back to me and Rob. I decide that I don't want to work for Rob anymore because it's quite mean. Not very complimentary how I mow his lawn. Won't let me cut his hair. Anything like that, you know. I don't want to work for Rob anymore. And so I quit. Yet Rob decides that he still wants to pay me money. He still wants to give me some money. He still wants to give me wages even though I'm not actually working for him. Because of Rob's grace, his gift to me, he still puts it into my account. Money that I haven't earned. The gift. So when God makes sinners right with him, when God makes us right with him, when sinners trust God and follow God, when he gives them that righteousness, God is like an employer who gives wages to those who do not work. It's a gift. It's a gift of righteousness. Not something we've earned, because if we said it was something we've earned, then we could boast in that. It's nothing that we've earned. It's a gift of righteousness from God. To be seen as right in God's eyes is a gift from God. Please remember that. It's a gift from God. Nothing that we can do ourselves. Is this the same for us today? How does God make sinners right with him today? I said to you that this verse was key, crucial. Why? Because it tells us the importance of putting faith in God. The New Testament carries this theme, doesn't it? God's saving us by, by us putting our faith in him and he giving us righteousness. How does that happen today? We sang about it this morning. the cross it's the resurrection it's the empty tomb that's how God saves us today that's how God does it today that's how it's possible for us this morning to be seen as righteous in God's eyes in Jesus because Jesus a descendant of Abraham actually Jesus a descendant of Abraham was sinless pure, spotless Lamb of God. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. We can't grasp that, can we? But he said nothing sinful. But he did nothing sinful. This is the one that always gets me. He thought nothing completely pure and holy. And if he wasn't, he couldn't be our Savior this morning. He was sinless. Because he was sinless, he didn't have to die. He's the only man who's ever lived 
who didn't need to die. What does it say in Romans chapter 6? The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't sin, therefore didn't need to die. But he voluntarily died for you and for me. The sinless, righteous Lord Jesus Christ so that we might receive his righteousness, his righteous rule. So that when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, as we have, through that faith in Jesus, we can be declared righteous before God. Because Jesus takes our sin to the grave, rises again in new life, and gives us his righteousness as a gift, if we believe and trust in him this morning. So that we might reach the standard requirement that God has Can I say this? Because I think preachers are shying away from it. Jesus is the only way to get there. The only way to get there. I'm sorry. You will not get there on your own merit, on your own works, because they're not good enough. It says in the Old Testament, our good works are like filthy rags in front of the Lord. But the beauty of the Christian faith is this. That it's not what we do. It's what he's done. It's what the Lord Jesus has already done. He offers us his righteous robes this morning. Has he taken them? Be taken. You know, Paul in Galatians chapter 3, he picks up on this, this theme. He declares to the Christians there, Paul was a, uh, a follower of the Lord Jesus. He was an apostle. He was a sent one. And uh, he was writing a letter to these Christians in the, the area of Galatia. That's why the letter is called Galatians. Uh, and what did he say? you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, so for your own study, he picks this theme up also in Romans in chapter 4. I highly recommend going for a study for it. What Paul is saying here is that all those who have believed in Jesus, Abraham to them is a spiritual father. Because he was the father of faith. And so when God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you will be father of many nations, Jews get confused by that because Abraham is the father of one nation, the Jewish nation. What God is actually saying here, in that big salvation plan that I talked about, through the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings all of creation back to himself through the same way that Abraham was saved through faith accrediting him righteousness. And we inherit that blessing that is referred to here. Because that blessing is, if we've trusted in Jesus, then he has given us his righteousness. What a blessing. Those of us who are Christians here this morning are declared righteous. Boldly walking towards the throne. Isn't that wonderful? And seeing some smiles. Isn't that wonderful? Some of you are still awake. What a blessing. Have you this morning put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you accepted that gift that he offered? that righteousness that is required for heaven, have you accepted it this morning? Because he offers it to you. Not something you earn, he offers it to you. What grace. What a gift. The Lord Jesus is standing here this morning 
and he is saying to you, take my righteous robe. I will take your sin to the grave. I already have. Believe in me and you will receive the righteousness that is required for him. If you're here this morning and you don't think that God will accept you, you think that in some way or another you've got too much baggage, you've got too much, too much in front of you, between you and God, that you, you can't get rid of it. I want to encourage you this morning. God accepts all who are repentant and humble enough to say, God, I can't do, I can't get into heaven by my own merit. But you provided the way for Lord Jesus. You provided a way for me to be made right in your eyes. God welcomes all of those who are humble and repentant enough to make that prayer. Please, I beg of you this morning, think over these things. Do not leave this room today without truly thinking about what the Lord Jesus is offering you right now. Abraham, he's believed in the Lord, verse 6, verse 7. God promises something else. There's not only a seed, but also the land. The land of Canaan I'm going to give to you. I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Again, Abraham questions, doesn't he? Abraham isn't sure. He's questioning. And he says to him, to the Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How, will I, how can I know that I'll gain possession of this land that you're promising me? And so God didn't say anything in this instance. He now goes, he shows Abraham what he's going to do. He tells Abraham to go collect some animals, doesn't he? Verse 9 to 11. Go collect some animals. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. What is that about? That's a bit odd, isn't it? Bring me these animals. Now, to us, this does seem really odd, but what was happening here was God was actually going to make a formal agreement with Abraham here. A formal agreement. And the word for that is up on the screen. Covenant. God was going to make a covenant with Abraham. An agreement. A solid agreement. In the days of Abraham, that's what an agreement looked like. They would get these animals. It might just be one, or it might have been a couple. In this instance, it was a couple of animals. And they would cut them in half. You see it on the picture on the screen. Cut them in half. The word covenant actually means to cut. Cut them in half. And they would potentially maybe share a meal, look over the promises and things like this. And then they would walk through the two parties or two groups that were promising, making a promise between each other, they would walk through the split animals. An example. Let's say me and Mr. Daniel Monk went for a coffee this week and decided that we were going to make a promise between me and him. We decided that if England win the Six Nations next year. If England win the Six Nations next year, I will... This is, we're not actually going to do it, right? I haven't got any animals outside waiting. You know? <laughs> I will preach in an England church. If Sorry, when Wales, if, when Wales win the Six Nations, that's my end of the bargain, when Wales win the Six Nations, when Wales win the Six Nations, Daniel promises to learn the heavenly language that is Welsh <laughs> and sing a Welsh hymn every time that he's up on the stage on a Sunday. That's the agreement. I've got a goat outside, we're going to do it later. And we would then, once we made that agreement, we would go outside somewhere into the car park and we would get an animal 
goats or a cow, Daniel can do this bit. He cut the cow in half, lay the two pieces on either side. And then me and Daniel would walk through as a sign to say that we've made this agreement. But more so than that, if I break, if one of us breaks the agreement, what we're doing is that we're calling the fate of those animals on ourselves. If I break this covenant, I deserve to die. I deserve to be split open. That's what the meaning of this covenant is here. Don't worry, Daniel, we're not going to do it. I couldn't find a cat. That's how serious this agreement was to God, this covenant that he was making. So to us, it seems really odd. But to Abraham, how odd would it be if we'd all got, if him and God got suited up and went to this office room and saw these sheets of paper and signed their names. To Abraham, that would be really weird. And so in the same way, this sort of splitting of animals is really weird. But that is what they would have done uh, in their culture. So he collects these animals. He splits them in two, except the birds. And then note what it says in verse 11. The birds of prey come down. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Birds of prey come down. And I do want to make a small point here. Whenever we're asked to do something by God, if we're serving God in any way, there will always be forces acting against us. Always. First Peter chapter 5, what does the devil describe as? A roaring life, seeking whom he may devour. Do not be deceived this morning. The greatest lie the devil has ever played on this world is convincing them, convincing the world that he doesn't exist. I'm here to tell you, Scripture holds it strong. He does exist. He is a force. And we as Christians this morning need to be on guard. Because when we are asked to do something for the Lord, his forces will always be there fighting against us. Be on guard. What does it say on the screen? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we resist the devil? by trusting and obeying the Lord, by being in this word every day, protecting ourselves, being on guard, watching with the Lord with us. Stand firm in the faith, and he will flee from you. So before walking through these pieces, let's go back to Abraham. Before walking through these pieces, Abraham actually falls asleep, doesn't he, in verse 12? He says he falls into a deep sleep. It's been a whole day of communing with God, Remember that he's seen the stars in the night. Your, your descendants will be as the stars. He's now come here and the sun sets. It's been a whole day. And Abraham falls into a deep sleep. And it's probably because what, it's a, concerning what God is about to say to him. Because the things God is about to say to Abraham are quite dark. And darkness comes upon him. And as God speaks to Abraham in verses 13 to 16, God tells him of the future of Abraham's descendants, what's going to happen to him. And it specifically mentions the hard times ahead. There'll be periods of darkness. You know, we'll have periods of darkness as well. We will have periods of darkness as well. The Christian life is not an easy one. Don't be deceived. It's not an easy one just because of the reason I just told you about. There will be forces acting against us. The moment that we've trusted in Jesus, there will be forces acting against us. But do you know what I like? Stars are always there, aren't they? They're always there. But we only see them in darkness. Their glory, their worth, are only illuminated in darkness. 
But sometimes in darkness where God speaks to us. Sometimes in the greatest difficulties that we feel God's presence stronger. Yet what we suffer now, the sufferings, the darkness that we're going through in our life, maybe even right this moment this week, I don't know every situation here, but in every perhaps right darkness this week you might be struggling with, it's nothing compared to the glory that Christ has promised you if you've trusted in him. May we be encouraged. My time is going. We'll move on. So, it will be expected after God has spoken to Abraham concerning his descendants, concerning what's going to happen with his descendants, if you want to read about that, I would uh, ask you to read Exodus chapters, uh, uh, chapters 1 and chapter 6 and 12 to give a comparison, because that prophecy, if you read it, has been fulfilled. If you want to come chat to me about that afterwards, please do so. But we'll move on to the next slide, and we'll say this. Abraham, therefore, will be expected, after God has given him these promises, to rise up and walk through these pieces. Walk through them. What happened? What do we read? Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, so the sun has gone down now, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between The presence of God in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, is always, or most often, in fire. Fire. The burning bush in Exodus 3. The pillar of fire in Exodus chapter 13. The information should come on the screen now. A consuming fire. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that only God passed through the people? Because normally both, both parties would pass through. It's significant because what God is saying to Abraham is this. This covenant I'm making with you, this agreement, is unilateral. This agreement is unconditional. This agreement rests on me, not All of the responsibility on this, of this covenant, this agreement, is all on me. Do you know what God is saying to Abraham here? If I fail to keep this promise, this covenant, may I be ripped apart. May I be calling down the fate of the animals that we've just slipped. This agreement was so important to God that he swore by the one thing that could not be broken, himself. God cannot die. Therefore, the agreement, he was saying, cannot be broken. I'm going to finish with this. Do you know there's another covenant that is working right now? A new covenant. Some of us this morning were remembering it. You can see the image of it on the screen. Bread and wine. What does the Lord Jesus say in Luke chapter 22? My body broken for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember. The new covenant. This covenant is working right now. Right now at this moment it's still holding. And this covenant still stands today. It's, it's, it's eternal, this covenant will never go away. And what does this covenant do? It brings us into a relationship with God. A new relationship. Hebrews 9 is on the screen. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty. I'm going to put one thing on the screen as I finish. We are promised many things in the Lord Jesus. Put the, that first table up. Can it not work? It's all right. 
you want to see the table, that's fine. I'll show it. There are 41 things at least promised in the Lord Jesus. 41. He promises them all. And I pray now, as we close, that we turn our eyes and we'd reflect on the promises that we have in Jesus. That we would really look and know and understand and meditate on what Jesus has done. The promise that he has brought. That if we might believe in him, we might have the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. We marvel at the work that he completed there. And we thank you, we praise you for the fact that he said on the cross, it is finished. The work is done. Father, help us never to lose the joy of the salvation that we hold. May we take it daily as we leave this place, as we go into a world that is broken, that is dark, that is dying. May we take the light of that salvation into the world and proclaim it to those around. Bless us as we depart. In Jesus' name.